1: Hey everybody and welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business marketing and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guests today are two of the quote and I say quote good recruiters out there because a lot of us good recruiters are getting a bad name and I think they might even be some of the great ones because they give back for every placement that their firm works and we're going to dig into that in a little bit. Rebecca Oppenheim and Gail Buck are the co-founders of Next Op Search, a women-owned B Corp certified Recruiting agency built on the one-for-one model. And that means for every candidate hired, they donate career coaching services to a survivor of domestic violence working towards financial independence. This is awesome. And with over 20 years of combined experience in executive recruiting, they partner with companies from early stage development startups to Fortune 500 companies with a focus on building diverse and inclusive teams. They're passionate about connecting candidates with meaningful employment, and want to empower the next generation of women while doing it. This is awesome. So Rebecca and I connected, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and we talked shop, we exchanged war stories. And I knew I had her her on the show today, along with her co-founder, Gail, to share their journey. I think it's important that we really talk recruiter to recruiter. We talk about what's good in our industry. We talk about all the good things. But I also want to talk about some of the bad things that are, again, making us good recruiters look bad and what we could do about it. I'm super excited to have them on the show today. Gail and Rebecca, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, thanks so much for having us.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: And awesome a
0: generous intro
1: yeah I, I I really do my best here I, I i my goal like I do with my candidates is to make them shine and and I absolutely love doing it. So why don't we start off and give um my tribe a little bit of your origin stories? I don't know, Rebecca, if you want to do it together, a little bit each. I don't know whoever right. wants to lead off.
0: So I can start off so sure. I mean Gail and I have been working together now I think almost six years and Uh, Right away when we started working together, you know, as recruiters, we think we have this really valuable skill set that, of course, can help someone get their next position or a better quality of life, but also can really bring people out of maybe some deeper struggles that they're experiencing. It's always really been a mission of ours uh, to really give that back. Um, And so, you know, we took the time to really figure it out, stepped out on our own, created our own firm, and just launched the Hire One, Help One mission a little over a year ago now. Got our B Corp certification this year. And like you mentioned in the intro, you know, it's one for one. So every placement on the for-profit side directly donates career coaching services to a survivor of domestic violence that's working towards financial independence.
1: And, and that's, and that's incredible. Gail, I'm always curious with, with recruiters were you always a recruiter, you know, coming out of school, your, you know, how did you get into recruiting?
2: Yeah. So I actually started my career in finance. I was in institutional equity sales and trading. And then I moved into recruiting in that space. And I did that for quite some time. And then as the, you know, as the market changed and evolved, I expanded my, my recruiting into other verticals and I just love it. I mean, like Rebecca said, it's, um, it's a unique uh, set of skills that we really felt was um, was was going to be something we could use to help others. So, you know, we are conscious capitalists. We have a for-profit business, right. but we also um, we created this hire one help one model because you know it's we wanted to give back in a way that's tangible. We want we have a ticker on our website. We wanted our clients and candidates to see you know the numbers going up when you when we make a placement. Our clients receive a certificate that says they directly impacted someone's life, and um,
1: that's fantastic
2: yeah, yeah,
1: so let me ask you how, how did how did that idea come about you know wh- what was the impetus behind it
2: well i think I think what what I just mentioned we we recognize this skill set um in you know interview prepping and and resume rewriting and understanding how to be strategic online uh with linkedin profiles and job boards etc could be really useful to people who are looking for financial independence. And one of the statistics that we uncovered that really was a catalyst for us is that 98% of uh, victims of domestic violence are also victims of financial abuse. And so, you know, when they do get through all, overcome all the hurdles that they have to overcome to get out of a bad situation, they're then faced with, okay, well, how do I support myself and often children at the same time? And so having the financial abuse be a part of their history makes that very difficult. And, um, we work in conjunction with, uh, crisis centers because we're just a piece of the puzzle. You know, there's a lot of things involved, but the employment piece of it is really useful, um, when they're ready for it. And so we rely on those right. centers to curate, um, clients who are ready for that next step. And that's what
1: that's incredible. And how many, how many women have you helped to date
2: Rebecca, I don't know, what is, what is our number to date? I have to check the website. Yeah, it has to
0: be updated, but I know it's over... 60 now Um, wow
1: that's fantastic and you know we think about it too you know um you know victims of domestic abuse they're dealing with so much on their end that they're not focused on their career and that's what's most important because they need to have that financial stability and they don't have access to the training and the skill sets what you're doing is incredible and i think it's totally fine that it's for profit i mean this is a, a capitalistic society i mean we all got into recruiting for a reason and i talk about it all the time what before I got into recruiting, and Rebecca, I shared my story with you previously. But Gail, you know, before recruiting, I spent 15 years working in advertising and marketing, and then I kind of had a career epiphany where I was done. You know, I had a major fail, major failure in my life, and it was a time for me to look inside and, and look at my strengths of what I want to do, um, which you know pushed me into recruiting. Um, it's so funny. I, I completely lost my thought. That's crazy. It's been a long day. I just want to
2: comment. What, we, right? uh, Wait, right no, then. it is. It
1: is. I was. <laughs> It's been an insane I think day. Those,
2: those moments in life where you have, right. you know, whenever you hear someone tell a great story about yeah. their career path, it always starts with like a, you know, a major fail or an epic learn. Oh, yeah. so, and then, you know, then that's what brings you to something even better. It it Go does, and it's, and it's and it's inc-
1: and it's incredible. And I've been doing I've been doing literally I've I've recorded like six podcasts this week, and I had a conversation <clears> earlier <throat> today with a somebody I actually went to high school with, actually middle school. I know his name is Eric Cusin, and, and we talked about mental health in the workplace, and we talked about burnout and how real that is, um, yeah. and, and sometimes we really forget the human aspect of it, But that's what I wanted to talk about, that before I got into recruiting, see how I we went around on that one? Before I got into <laughs> recruiting, before I, before I went into recruiting, you know, I was really, you know, what was I doing? I was helping, you know, a company's shareholders make a couple of extra cents, but until I got into recruiting, it's when I realized that I could actually help somebody change their future. Yeah. I could help them make an actual change in effect, a human being versus a company, and I think that's really incredible. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, the difference between good recruiters and bad recruiters. You know, Rebecca, you know, you've, you've been around for a bit. You've seen this in the marketplace. Why are us good recruiters getting a bad name?
0: Well, I think recruiting and the nature of the beast can be very transactional and money focused. And like you said, though, it is really your products are people, right? It's a sales position but you're dealing with people's lives. You're dealing of course. with how they pay their mortgage and raise their kids mm-hmm. and the hours they spend at work and who they work for. And I honestly think it comes down to empathy and good recruiters have empathy. I think they can one hundred percent in the shoes of the person they're talking to. I think that they look through career gaps and are curious about why that exists. I think that they are, catching themselves in judgments um, on it. And it's a daily basis. I mean, we all, we have to make judgments. In absolutely. Our, um, but the good ones are questioning those.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's a fine line to walk, right? Because at the end of the day, the clients are the one who pays our bills. Right. And they're the ones that they, they want certain type of candidates. And I'm not talking about skin color or orientation or anything like that, but from a skill set yeah. perspective, right? right? And, and they also, you know, it's hard when a client says, hey, listen, I don't want somebody, but it's out of, out of work for two years. And then you have to go and explain to them, this person was out of work because they were caring for a sick relative. They, they had a child, whatever it is. And there's times also when, you know, it's that balance between, you know, how do I push that empathy level and, w- and which way is it goes. But you hit on an interesting point before that I want to dig into around bias. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a recruiter for me, when I'm sourcing, I do my best to to try to be neutral. You know, I try, I almost don't want to even see, you know, profile pictures sometimes, right? Because it maybe there's something in the back of my brain, for whatever reason, I'm looking at someone's photo and it something doesn't, you know, it rubs me the wrong way. I'll be honest about it. I think there's unconscious bias, right? So for those who don't know what that is, explain to everybody what unconscious bias is and how that's affecting the world of talent acquisition.
0: I think the simplest way to list unconscious bias is let's say you were walking onto a bus and there are two open seats and you're going to choose one that's next to one person, and you don't even realize why you made that decision, right? Because we make, like I said, we make judgments every day in our life. Honestly, I think the basis is because of safety. But then when that comes into talent acquisition and recruiting, it can become dangerous, and those judgment calls become biased, and we have to be self-aware of what decisions we're making quickly. If we're looking at a resume for six seconds, which is the statistic that gets passed, all the time, right? Why did we pass on that candidate? Why didn't we pass on that candidate? And is that a fair judgment? And how can we bring it from the
2: unconscious to the conscious and not do it again?
1: Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Gail, what do you think about this?
2: Yeah, I was just going to add to that. You know, I think Rebecca made a really good point. And I think the important thing is awareness because we're not bots. So we all have our life path and our history that, you know, exactly. creates unconscious bias. Uh, right. In our minds and we can't control it, and it's not a bad thing. it is what it is, but I think being aware of it is is really key in overcoming it
1: right so what are some of the this the skills the techniques that you guys use when screening candidates to remove any bias? is there any any practical tips
0: Ask. A ton of questions. Ask yourself questions before you talk to candidate. Ask the candidate questions. When you're getting job briefings and descriptions from clients, ask questions. If they say we want someone with this background, why?
1: Yeah, so let me ask you this question. Hypothetically, and I'm sure you guys have come across this as I have. Hypothetically, a client says to you, Rebecca, I only want you to find you know, African-American women. What do you say to that? Why? And they say, because we need a higher diversity. We're lacking it, we're all white dudes in this company.
0: Well, one of the things that we really do is, like you know, as you said in the intro, is really have that intentional um, effort on building diverse and inclusive teams. And I, I think we're always looking for the best fit for the role, and it's based on the skills, but we need to make sure that we're not filtering out uh, all the different minorities that can kind of fit into right. that because of the biases that just exist in the world, right? If you say, I want someone with a degree from MIT, you're probably getting a really small candidate pool that might not be very diverse. So why? Why MIT? Can we dig into that, you know?
1: Yeah, and, and it's a tough one, too, because I always say to my client, like, you're, you're going to pass on the best possible candidate if they don't hit that diversity hire. And it's, and it's always, like, a really tough conversation. In my opinion, it's really a double-edged sword that you're excluding good candidates. And it's it's yeah. just... It's just a balancing act, and, and, and that's another complexity. It's one of those things about recruiting, right? I'm sure you guys have heard it when you tell people what you do for a living. Everyone's like, oh, I could be a recruiter. It's like the same thing with a real estate agent, right? Like everyone thinks they could be a real estate agent. And I, I've had this conversation before with people that one of the reasons our industry is tough and gets a bad rap is that there's no barrier to entry. Anybody could be a recruiter. And I've tossed around the idea that like just like selling insurance or doing real estate, that there should be a license. Like, yes, there's certificate programs out there, but in my opinion, I don't think they carry much weight, really, without any type of, like, licensing or, or, you know, regulatory body. You know, what are your thoughts on having, you know, recruiters be licensed?
2: That's an interesting point. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of elements to recruiting that are really important that, you know, good recruiters learn and become, you know, very good at. And and I think that, you know, we would have a better reputation. We would have better quality of recruiters and the, and better better fits for recruiting in terms of personality types if there was some sort of a a barrier to entry albeit a test or a certificate or a license i think it's a really valuable suggestion
1: um yeah it'd be interesting to see i mean it would i think there'd be too many of us grandfathered in too many of the the, (laughs) many of the bad ones you know and it's 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 crazy out there so i do a mix and rebecca and i talked about it i do you know your classic contingency recruiting i do contract recruiting um, you know, I do in-house recruiting and I get to see it from a lot of different angles. Um, and you guys see it too from from the, you know, the, the, the outside recruiter perspective. Um, let's talk about attracting top talent and retaining them for the point of view where you guys sit. And for me, you know, the su- successful companies are the ones that really focus on retention first over hiring. I mean, retention reduces attrition, um, in my opinion. And, you know, however, in today's market, you know, candidates are jumping. You know, there's, there's limited you know, it's, it's a candidate driven market and it's insane that the, the well, employment compensation...
0: rates are the lowest they've been in 50 years. Yeah,
1: it's absolutely, and it's a talent war out there. Um, what in your opinion have you seen successful companies do to retain talent? And obviously it takes business away from us somehow if you look at it like that, but you know, what ha, what are you seeing successful in the marketplace right now?
0: I would oh, say we... that number... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> we're probably going to say the same thing. I'm sure. Um, yeah, what we're noticing quite a bit is that candidates really care about a, a whole picture, a holistic view of the company. And so they want to know, well, they're not interested in the coffee bar or the happy hour. The
1: beanbag chairs don't mean know, anything.
2: Right. They want to know what does this company stand for? Are Do they have a mission? Are they philanthropic? Um, what is their, you know, they want a holistic view of the company. And so we've found companies that have more to their, um, you know to their profile than just their you know just their revenue stream uh, to be to to have more loyalty from their employees and have a higher employee retention because people care and so they feel they feel that going to work isn't just about creating revenue but they're a part of something bigger that's more important
0: yeah the culture i'd say number yeah. one is the culture which is intangible right it's not what you say it's what you do so it doesn't really matter what stories you've listed on your company website all the
1: pictures of the nice the nice office space it's important you work in there it's important
0: yeah i mean that's what people are looking at that's their impression of the company of course that matters but the point is is it's really what you do right who's interviewing you what's the interview process like of course what are other people saying that work there what is the existing turnover of the company
1: it's always a, it's always a difficult question right
0: yeah, you find you used to work there because they'll always tell you what's
1: happening yeah, yeah it's like that's what i say about Glassdoor too Glassdoor is a crazy place and i always like it's always, i always go on the defensive with Glassdoor. i always say it's it literally is a clearinghouse of disgruntled employees yeah. like the disproportionate amount of positive reviews and i think there's, there's it's important to have them because it's an anonymous place where people could really say but there's also some defamation and some bashing there so i always tell candidates i'm like just you know, with a grain of salt, like literally take it with a grain of salt. So I want to dig into some tactical recruiting questions, talk a little recruiting shop here. Um, Gail, when you're talking to a candidate, what is, what is, you know, after your initial, you know, pleasantries and everything, what is the first question you ask them?
2: I would ask them what they're looking for in their next opportunity. What's their priority in, in making a move? Because I think it's really important for me to be conscious of that in matching them to the right opportunity. Is it you know, is it compensation based? Is it culture based? Is it uh, location based? Um, what are they missing today that they right. that they want to find? Um, it's
1: motivation. Next- it's yeah, motivation. What
2: motivation? Exactly.
1: And it's interesting too. When I when I started in recruiting, I I learned under a great veteran, a guy by the name of Tom Hull over at Onward Search, and Tom was recruiting before LinkedIn. Before they were using fax machines. You know, they were. I mean, you know, not trying to make you sound old. But yeah, yeah. Back, you know, without the technology, you really had to rely on your ingenuity and you had to rely on your communication skills and not just spraying and praying on, on, on LinkedIn, which is incredible. And he taught me the first thing you need to figure out is the motivation because yeah. the motivation is going to be critical at the end when you're closing the candidate. So you remind them, here's the offer. Hopefully the number's is good in and checks the box there. But let's go back and talk about why initially you were looking to leave your job. Right. What don't you but like think, about it?
0: And I think that's so important too because I – I think, unfortunately, what a lot of recruiters are taught or do, or I don't know where it stems from, but you have a job opening that you're trying to fill and you're trying to squish the person that you're talking to into that job opening, rather than finding out what that person wants, and then later figuring it out if they're a good fit for that opportunity. You know, you've yep, got to exactly, yeah,
1: Yeah. That's I mean, part I...
0: of what
2: makes a recruiter good at their job.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being honest, too. I mean, I remember like, you know, it was a couple months into recruiting for me and it was kind of that, you know, Rebecca, going back to the empathy thing, you know, I had a candidate and I felt looking back on it that I was maybe being a little bit pushy. It's like when I started recruiting and I had that moment where I'm like, what the hell am I doing? This candidate is not right for this job. And all I was thinking about was that angle, that commission number. And I took a step back and I had a conversation with myself and I was like, in my heart, I, this candidate won't be happy I know they just need to make more money, they were in a situation they needed to get out of, they were desperate, but I knew, you know, within a couple months they'd be out of the job and I'd be losing my guarantee at a minimum. But more importantly, they wouldn't be happy and they'd be back looking for a job again.
0: Everyone loses. You lose because you rip someone out of a job and now they don't have a job. The employer loses because they've just lost money and time filling a job with someone isn't a good fit. And the person who's no longer in the, I mean, it's just, it's never a good situation. It's a nightmare. And it's to- crazy. And it can all be solved if you just put the person
1: first. Exactly. And that's another piece I talk about too with everybody. You know, the ultimate, recruiting is one of the few professions where it's the ultimate X factor. It's that human X factor. You can lead a horse to water. You can lead them down the path. You can put the offer in front of them. You can literally walk them to the door on the first day, but things always happen. In fact, I had a story last week. uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but I had a candidate that turned down the first offer and then they came back and said, no, we reconsidered it. And she accepted the second offer. He, she accepted the second offer. And then a day before they were about to start, called and said they were moving. And I was like, part of me was like, what the F? Like, like, come on. Like, you didn't know this till the day before. And then the other part of me was like, you know what? They're still a human being. And maybe this opportunity came up real quick. And they had to make a family decision. Gail, with leaving names out of it, like, tell us a quick crazy, like, off the top of your head, one of the most insane recruiting stories. I mean, we, I think that like we're like cops and paramedics and firefighters. And we have crazy stories. Oh like, gosh! Tell us, tell us a good one. It gives Rebecca a minute to think about it.
2: <laughs> <I'm not laughs> we telling. had um, we had a candidate going for a final interview, um, who the morning of the interview got into a fender bender and ultimately received a DUI, and she was an older woman. And uh we uh we thought well that would just absolutely disqualify her for the position because we had to be it was for three. a
0: very private family office executive assistant yeah. so so you needed a very clean record it, this was all right. given to us
2: ahead of time yeah and ultimately because she was open and honest about it they thought that that was they thought that was wonderful and hired her she beat out she beat out a, a slew of incredibly high caliber candidates and she was as well. But being honest about that life experience and forthright ultimately got her the job. We make of mistakes. For the job.
1: We're human. We make we make mistakes in how we handle and them, Rebecca. That's
2: the thing. Life
0: happens. It does. Life it happens. You get exactly. Sick at any moment, or a family member can have something happen or you're moving or and this can all happen while you're in the job as well. Or I mean we all really it, it, we're better off when we accept this. Um, yeah,
1: and it's you know. and it's a it's a roller coaster. I had a, I had a candidate accept a job, and then literally a couple of days before starting, she got engaged. Her, her boyfriend proposed to her, and he works for a um, Seattle-based large tech company. I'm not going to name the name. And uh, she's like, I got to move out to Seattle with my husband, my future husband, and that was that. I'm like,
0: yeah. What, yeah. what can I say
1: to that? What what? Yeah. Uh, Mazel Tov! Congratulations! Yeah. Right? Like
0: life happens. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was happy for her. I mean, I wasn't happy that I lost, you know, the commission. So, Gail, let me ask you this. Anyone who's coming into recruiting, if you had to give a brand new recruiter one piece of advice to be successful in recruiting, what would it be?
2: Listen. Listen to your clients. Listen to your candidates. Really get to, you know, rather than doing a lot of talking, really listen to what they're looking for because I think ultimately that's what will make you successful in the job.
1: Rebecca?
0: that's great advice. I can't top that.
1: No, it's, it's a good one. So let's, let's switch gears yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it's incredible. Let's talk about, let's talk about LinkedIn. Um, Rebecca, you've built a, an incredible following and I'm always, you know, amazed like how, I'm like, Oh my God, you like, solid followers, but more about that, it's the engagement. And I'm always impressed by that, you know, level of engagement. How have you built up that, um, that level of engagement on LinkedIn? How, how have you built that brand up?
0: Honestly, it's not rocket science. It's just acknowledging people and trying to add your two cents. I mean it it might seem overwhelming if people want to get to a certain level, and you know, let's say you have a thousand followers. First of all, followers don't mean absolutely anything, but let's just say you have a thousand followers and you're watching someone who has twenty five thousand. you know that's not a fair assessment. like build yourself up over time. Um, get on LinkedIn every day and try to write three comments that have value, not like great post okay. agreed like, like actually add some value to or your opinion oh, or yeah. that I never thought of it that way I'm learning and then wait to post your own stuff you know build up that engagement I, for me I started doing that for a long time I was just commenting on other people's posts and the, the acknowledgement when someone would respond to my comment was so huge that they would take the time and respond that I make it such a point to try to respond to every single comment. I would rather it's post. Work. I only post twice a week for that exact reason. Right. Yeah, it's, it,
1: it. it's tough right now. And LinkedIn is crazy. And there's so many things going on and people are talking about like these engagement pods that are like messing up the metrics and everything. Um, I don't know, like, like I, there's been some like, like the uh, recruiter ones and everyone's kind of talking about it. What are your thoughts on engagement pods? Cause people talk about it all the time in the recruitment world. Like, it's, it's insane. I don't know what to take of it. Like, I, I see both sides of it. But like, to me, it's about like, you know, it's authentic- not
0: necessary, by any means, it's just finding another tribe, right? You're just it's like a family you're thrown in with that you're going to support each other. And that's for some people. And it's not for other people. And you can naturally join. I mean, I'm in chat groups where it's not a pod um and sometimes we'll post content in there because we really enjoy each other's content and we honestly like to pat each other on the back and encourage our posts to reach more people and and so that's more of what it is and and also when you message with people linkedin notices they say oh these two people have a relationship i'm going to show that to each other in the feed because LinkedIn's goal, which you always have to remind yourself, is they want to keep you on the platform.
1: Exactly. Like that's they how to that, show
0: you stuff on your feed that they think you like.
1: Yeah, and I think just the problem, and, and I'll close on this one. I think the problem is like there's two types of pods. There's, there's the genuine ones where, where it's people of similar mindset and they're really encouraging people. And the ones that get a bad rap are the ones where like people are being like forced or bullied to comment and, and engage, which I think, you know, is absolutely awful. Um, and I think it's just about, you know, keeping your head head, you know, on a swivel. And you know, interacting with the right people there. So people kind of, will always
0: try to find hacks on any platform. Of course, in in life the shortcuts and, yeah. and, and put in
1: and, the work. And ultimately, authenticity will always rise to the top on any platform and anything in life. So I think no one really has to be concerned about that. So Gail, let me let me ask you this: outside of recruiting, just in life, what is the single best piece of advice that you've ever received?
2: Wow! Oh, god!
1: It's a big one. <laughs> I, I ask it a lot. I ask it a lot. And if people listen to the podcast. You know it's coming, and there's a couple more coming that I always ask.
2: So when I moved to I moved to California in my twenties, and uh, I went out there by myself, you know, just to to start fresh and um, and just you know try to live outside my comfort zone. I grew up in New York. I went to school nearby. I always had you know friends, school to school, even college. I went with eight people that I knew, and so I moved to California. I didn't know a soul, and I called my mom about a week after living there and I said, I think I overestimated myself. I don't think I can do this, I'm so lonely and I don't know if I'll meet people that are like me out here. And my mom just said, be your authentic self and you'll always attract your own kind. And I've just found that to be a really good piece of advice in life.
1: I love it. That's Rebecca, right. what about you?
0: You always ask me second and then I have to top what Gail says. <laughs> um what is the best piece of advice I've ever been given uh I would think I hate to say it on don't give up really you know yeah,
1: don't quit.
0: there really is a point where honestly giving up is a good idea so that's why I kind of hate to say it but then pivot like I always taught I, I watched my mom recreate Uh, herself and kind of reinvent her careers all throughout life. She's had a a number of different professions. And as a child, I never thought anything of it. Uh, But now that I've seen myself do it multiple times, um, you just, you know, it's possible and you create your own work. So, you know, don't give up on basically creating your own opportunities.
1: Yeah. I, I absolutely love it. And so Rebecca, I'll lead off with you. So two questions that I ask every guest You know, on the, on the, on the, on the podcast, Rebecca, what, what is something that you do better than, than anyone in this world? What is something that you have ingrained into your soul? What is your superpower?
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) um i don't know uh i guess well something that i i really enjoy doing a passion of mine is honestly connecting with other people i don't think that i do it better than anyone else i think there are a lot of people that are great at it but i really i i enjoy it and i get a kick out of meeting people i've never met before and finding common ground and learning their story and i think that's why i like recruiting so
1: much as well that's fantastic gail
2: I didn't know you were going to pivot to me. Um, something Keep you I on your toes. I, it's,
1: it's recruiting. Power. You got to be on your toes. <laughs>
2: um, I, you know, I, I hate to say something similar to what Rebecca said, but I'm also really passionate about connecting mm-hmm. and putting people together. And, you know, if even in recruiting. Matchmaker. Well,
1: that's why we do what we do. Yeah, Absolutely.
2: even in recruiting, there's so many times that Rebecca and I both do this, where we'll just put people We'll make introductions that won't garner a fee, just because we know these two people belong together and they'll benefit from the relationship. And we believe in Absolutely. karma come back to us at some point. So. I was
1: right about to say that it's it's, it's connection, karma, and yes. you know, this question is for both of you guys, and, and and for me, you know, I always ask, you know, what is your north star? What what do you look to when things are not going well? What do you look to pull you up when you're having a bad day, a bad week? You just lost a candidate. You just lost a client. And you're like, I, I need something to pull me up. And in and, and the other side of that, when things are going great and you want to show gratitude and appreciation for life and everything that's good, what do you look to, Rebecca? What's your North Star?
0: Well, I can say, hands down, since we launched this mission of Hire One, Help One, it, it gets me up in the morning. It doesn't matter how great the day is, how bad the day is. It is 100% my North Star. I'm, we, Gail and I are more determined than ever to build a profitable recruiting company in order to sustain the mission. Love it. Um, yeah, yeah it's really, it's, it's, it's been such an inspiration to us, the work,
2: to be honest.
1: It's fantastic. You guys are doing, you guys are doing great work. Gail, I assume the same. You have a you have a different north star.
2: No, that is my north star, one hundred percent. We are. Uh, I'm more motivated. You know, I, I'm in. I've been working now twenty two years, and I'm I'm more motivated now than I've ever been because my goal is not Love just it. profit oriented.
1: That's fantastic, ladies. You know, thank you, thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey. We're gonna have all the links below, thank and we'll talk about that. Um, in a little bit. And in closing thoughts here, Rebecca and Gail are are champs in our world of recruiting. They do it right, and they built a business in the right way that helps others in every step of the process. And I think it's really giving recruiting uh, a good name. And it's profitable, and it's charitable, and proving that this model works when done right with the right leadership, the right business plan, and most importantly, heart-first leaders with tremendous amounts of empathy that genuinely care about their fellow humans. That's important, and I hope that this story inspires you to make a difference, and it doesn't always have to be giant steps, just one small step at a time that forwards progress to help somebody else. I love your passion, your mission, and the way you represent yourselves and this industry. I think that's really important as well, and I thank you for joining me today. Rebecca and Gail, where can people find you? Where could they connect with you?
0: You can find us. We're very accessible on LinkedIn, and then our website as well is just next nextopsearch,
1: And if you didn't catch it, I will have all the links below when this podcast airs. Rebecca, Gail, thank you so much for joining me today. I certainly appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having
1: us. Awesome. Good stuff. And for everyone listening at home, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Please follow us on all the social media channels. Click link, subscribe, network, and most importantly, and I think Gail and Rebecca would attest to this, take your online relationships offline. Connect. Make it happen. And thank you for joining us and catch us next week for another amazing episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode jam-packed with more incredible humans. For more info, please visit www.nhptalentgroup.com.